It's a new day and opportunity is in the air. This is Philip with Soul Insights and you are tuned in to Good Morning Market, where everyday businesses are empowered to lead the market with the latest in market news, insights, and strategy. Hello everybody, welcome to another edition of Good Morning Market. Let's talk about the stuff that matters to you and your business. How are we going to grow? Who are we going to target? How do we deal with real life economic forces, uh, competition, and what's the smart path to growth? What are some inspirational stories that we can glean from? So that's what we do on this podcast. I'm really excited about today's guest, Jen Benet. But first, wanted to share with y'all, hey, we are now getting to the end of summer. I was talking with my wife the other day and I'm like, hey, you know, we've only got about a week and a half left of summer. The kids are about to go back to school. Um, it's crazy just how quickly the summer has flown. I'm definitely, you know, feeling the pressure. I'm wanting to do some really significant client additions this week. So I'm certainly learning here with you on how uh, we can attract the right kind of customers and clients and, and grow our businesses. I've got a lot of big plans for 2023. And hey, we are well into uh, Q3 now. We're in the second half of this year looking to finish strong. Of course, I love to engage with you. This is not a one-sided conversation. So please connect with me, share the content, share the podcast on social. I'm looking to put out more um, social content so we can get with each other in the comments. We can DM each other. Um, I do a lot on LinkedIn, so that's definitely the best place to get engaged with me. Speaking of which, send to me on LinkedIn your guest request, folks you would like to see a guest on Good Morning Market. Hey, if you have something to add to the conversation, uh, DM me directly about yourself being a guest on Good Morning Market. And speaking of guests, we are going to be speaking with Jen Benet, who is the executive director of the Creative Coast here in Savannah, Georgia. Jen Benet has many, many, many years of experience starting companies, uh, working to, to gain capital, uh, consulting organizations, and Creative Coast is the catalyst for the innovation economy in the coastal empire. So a really great guest with an abundance of knowledge. And what we're going to be talking with Jen about today is funding your business. I know we've approached this from a specific angle, talking with the Small Business Assistance Corporation, a great organization that helps you know everyday businesses from very, very small uh, businesses all the way up to mid-sized growing organizations be able to get access to capital in a way that they might not be able to get straight through the traditional banking process, and they're great. But there's a lot of different ways to fund your business and a lot of different limitations, complications, and trade-offs when it comes to funding your business. We all know that money drives everything. Money drives business growth, and we need to discuss the smart ways – ways, plural, to fuel your business. Let's get into that with Jen Benet. First, we need to talk about what's been going on in your economy, your marketplace over the past week. From this week's market roundup, we have two pieces of news. Let's get into the first one from LinkedIn News. The headline or the topic of discussion was recession coming. It's a toss-up. From that Post, rather, from LinkedIn News, economists who've been predicting a U.S. recession for months now say that forecast is less clear, thanks to slowing inflation and a seemingly resilient economy. In a new Bloomberg survey, forecasters from Deutsche Bank and Fannie Mae say it's a toss-up whether the U.S. will enter a recession or not, pointing to stronger-than-expected housing stats and auto sales as signs of hope. Some also suggest the Fed's aggressive rate hikes have helped stave off a downturn. However, there's still a 60% chance of a recession in the next 12 months, according to the surveyed experts. The second piece of news for y'all comes from the Wall Street Journal. The headline is, High Rates, Low Supply, Hinder Home Buying This Summer. Frustrated home shoppers face high mortgage rates and a shortage of available properties, a combination that made purchases less affordable and dented sales in June. Elevated mortgages rates resulting from the Federal Reserve's actions since early last year are keeping many buyers out of the market and reducing demand. At the same time, the rates are discouraging homeowners from selling, limiting the supply of homes for sale. The result is declining home sales, but stubbornly high prices. In many parts of the country, buyers who can afford to stay in the market are still facing bidding wars. Very interesting article. It continues, but we must move on. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is your market roundup for the week. Mm-hmm. 
Well, everybody, it's great to have a another guest with us on Good Morning Market. I, I should have had this lady on earlier. Some of y'all may be intimately familiar with Creative Coast and the amazing work that they've been doing uh, in the growing coastal empire for years. If not, I'm very happy to be the guy who gets to introduce you to Jen Benet and and her impact. So who is this lady? She is a serial tech entrepreneur, chief technology officer, and entrepreneurial ecosystem builder focused on helping entrepreneurs launch, grow, and scale technology businesses. Jennifer serves technology entrepreneurs in the Savannah, Georgia region through her role as the director of the Creative Coast. Jennifer serves female tech entrepreneurs globally through Startup Chicks, an organization she launched back in 2008 and is relaunching in early 2023. Jennifer is also the chief product uh, and technology officer for the Kona Exchange. Kona is a digital currency exchange focused on providing a means for businesses that relies heavily on cash to transact digitally in a private, secure, and trustful manner. It currently is in private beta. And then prior to these roles, Jennifer was the director of the Advanced Technology Development Center, ATDC, uh, Georgia, and the Tech Incubator, a top 12 incubators changing the world, according to Forbes magazine. When she was there, Jennifer spearheaded the development of a recurring year-round curriculum, statewide expansion, the Accelerate program, and a growing and growing the number of physical incubates from 19 to 90 companies. That was a mouthful because I've got a, a guess with, with quite – um, the reputation, Jen. Thank you for joining Good Morning Market with me. Thanks for having me here. It's great to be here. So I get to talk about a really fun conversation with you today, of which you are very familiar. Like you said, you work with um, tech companies. They have unique needs as an industry. Uh, they really have unique uh, needs and challenges and risk factors when it comes to funding. And I went to uh, the great 2022 GRIT conference, which used to be known as Geekin. So I was there in the, in the winter. And one of the themes and around which we were all able to uh, uh, Congress together and, and really do a lot of learning and getting expertise was around business funding. So I'm really looking forward to, to getting into that topic with you here. I'm happy to be here and look forward to uh, chatting. Um, I, I do think it's interesting right because uh you know you mentioned tech as being high risk i actually think smaller businesses from my perspective are higher risk so True. Uh, i think it's, it depends on your viewpoint really as to what risk is and how risky things are that's true. That's true. So, I mean, uh, none of this audience is, is afraid of risk. I think that's just naturally the demographic that this content attracts. We're all burn the boats. You know, we can make it happen. You know, a bunch of dreamers who are, are winging it until we figure it out. But that money thing, you know, tends to get in the way. So I'm looking forward to to this discussion. I do want to take a step back. I don't want to take it for granted that people know the Creative Coast. That's how I first met you. You're the executive director and you've been in that role for five years. Um, could you quickly just summarize for us um, what is the Creative Coast and what is its mission in the coastal region? Sure. So the Creative Coast is a 27-year-old um, nonprofit organization that was launched and is primarily funded by the Savannah Economic Development Authority, uh, the city of Savannah, and, and at this point, Georgia Southern University is and BIG is one of our largest uh, sponsors as well. Mm. And we are were created to um, catalyze the innovation economy in Savannah, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And what that really means is this intersection. Um, you know, the, actually, the founders were very, very uh, forward thinking in this idea of, hey, there's going to be a white collar work class and they're mm -hmm. going to be able to kind of choose where they want to live. And we could cultivate Savannah into being this place for, for at the time, was knowledge-based workers. Today, we mm -hmm. would call them remote workers, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and it's this intersection of people that, you know, it's, in essence, make a living on their laptop. Creatives, mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, and technologists that now, and especially now, it's been expedited with COVID, um, can can choose where they want to live, work and play, and, and work for, you know, a customer base that is global. Yep. And that's what it focuses on. So we we provide uh, we do education and social programs. Mm -hmm. 
um, you know, four to six events a month, as well as some certain marquee events that we have, as you mentioned, the great conference, where we try and bring together uh, like-minded people that are either creatives, techies, or entrepreneurs. And mm -hmm. sometimes we want them all in one room, and sometimes we want to divide up the tribes and let them be amongst their people, because uh, yep. <laughs> uh, they don't always communicate well. Like we had an event uh, last last Tuesday where we brought the C-Spot marketing meetup group to the Techie Tuesday meetup group, and they were all at the same place, but they were still on opposite side of the room. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, got to get people to mingle. So, um, yes. yeah, so ultimately, we believe uh, that, you know, taking an entrepreneur, a creative, and a techie, and, and, and putting them in the same room could make magic happen, right? Could mean... Mm -hmm you know, get get you the, the contractor or the freelance talent that you need to help scale and grow your business, right? And the bigger we grow the businesses, the better jobs we create in Savannah, Georgia for the long run. And, and that's why CETA is interested, right? From an economic mm -hmm. development perspective, these are typically high wage jobs, right? Yeah. And so can we grow and scale high wage jobs that are clean for the economy or environment, right? They're made on a laptop and, um, you know, provide a diverse industry base in Savannah, Georgia, less dependent on tourism, less dependent on manufacturing yes. logistics. No, that, I think that's perfect. And I think that um, for those who don't already know Creative Coast, um, if they don't get to know Creative Coast very soon, they're going to see its impact. Because like you said, e even before COVID, you're doing perfect work, but obviously the pandemic and then obviously a lot of the economic major developments that have happened in this region are going to expedite the transformation of this economy. And then the 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 need for the the skill sets that y'all directly serve and cater to and attract and recruit. So I'm, I'm very excited to see and be in participation uh, of the kind of change that y'all are generating because like you said you know savannah has been a great market for a long time because of tourism and the ports and gulfstream and 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 healthcare and the you know, u.s army and, and and all those things I, I want those to continue to grow but like you said um in today's economy uh we are getting more versatile more high speed and we have lots of remote uh, laptop class workers who are going to need the kind of resources um, that y'all provide them. And, and maybe you could just quickly plug, um, I don't want to steal thunder from the end of the conversation, but y'all do have like memberships where people can do like job postings. You have access to really great facilities over there at Expansive. Like so you could tell me a little bit about the membership uh, with Cre Creative Coast. Sure. Yeah, we have two different membership tiers. Uh, it starts at a whopping $30 a month. Um, that gets you a discount to all of our education, all of our programs. So pretty much um, most of our education and social programs are going to be free to a, uh, what we call club member. And then that also gets you access to our conference rooms in our space. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's two hours a month free mm -hmm. conference room space, which if you've ever tried to rent a conference room in this town, oh. it's at least $30 an hour. So Exactly. Um, and then we have a $99 a month membership for folks. And then they can come in and co-work with us two days a week. Uh, our office is really cool, nice space, class A office space at the corner mm -hmm. of Bull and Bryan. Mm -hmm. It is on the dot line. For those that don't want to pay for parking, you can get dropped off free at our front door. And uh, that gets you, again, eight hours uh, a day, two days a week, plus four hours of conference room time to come in and hang out. Uh, it also get, will give you discounts to our marquee programs like She Hustles, which is a, an event that we hold three times a year for female entrepreneurs. The last one sold out. So over 130 women came together in a um, hot evening in, in, I guess, the end of May to uh, celebrate women entrepreneurs. Um, it gives you a discount to Brit, which, uh, you know, we had a 300 person uh, conference for two days back in January that we're just starting to plan the next one. It's probably going to be February this coming year because okay. so, so the holidays was really challenging for us. Right. Um, and so those things you get really, really cheap discounted tickets for if you're if you're if you're a member. Um, the other thing to think about is that we are 501c3. So the membership dues can be deducted as a donation. Uh, during taxes. Beautiful. Well, thank you for giving us that that recap. Because, like I said, I, 
I think it's going to be really helpful to our audience. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, crossover with what Creative Coast does and 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 the Good Morning Market audience. So that said, um, I, we now need to get into the meat, and I, um, I'm really excited to get into it. I did a little bit of homework just to be able to ask not stupid questions and hopefully ask somewhat helpful questions so you can then uh, get us the best insights. Something that I think a lot of people would know is you know most small businesses fail. So I looked up a stat, which I think is reasonably – accurate is 50% of businesses fail by year five. Okay. Um, I did look up a source from CB insights that said the second most common cause for that failure would be lack of capital. Number one being just lack of market demand, but number two is this lack of capital, lack of funding from your experience working with the innovation sector, tech companies, have you seen this to be the case that lack of capital is is a big reason why a lot of them don't make it? I'm not sure if you have a story or just what are, what is your perspective on how impactful um, capital is for those companies that don't make it past year five? Yeah, my notes from my note, my conversation with you previously is like, I wonder who CBS, CB Insights asked. Because, <laughs> um, you know, the, the truth is most entrepreneurs that go through a failure yeah um may say lack of capital but is it lack of capital or is it lack of planning for when you need the capital right right um so chicken or the I, egg I, or is that a symptom or no, is that a root I, cause I think it's yeah. a challenge right yeah raising capital for your business is not like oh i'm going to need capital for payroll in two weeks so i'm going to go raise capital right <laughs> raising capital right. for your business is like a six-month journey yeah right so if you're not planning for it, then you could very likely fail, right? And so I think it's, it's understanding the cycle, uh, your financial cycle of your own individual business, what your spend's like, and have it, and and identifying capital sources that can fill in the gaps when you need them, and know that they're there before you need them, right? And so you know, I do think you know my my very first startup was huge, right? Big. I wrote a search engine, right? We raised a ton of money, right? And and at the end of the day, you could say we failed, but we, right? But we sold the company because we couldn't raise. We knew far enough ahead of time that we needed to raise capital, right? That we tried to raise capital, but we were also ad revenue. So this is 2001, 2002, the dot-com crash is happening. Nobody's spending money on advertising anymore. So our revenues drop. So now we're not in a position to raise money because the world has changed and our revenues have dropped and the mo- we don't know when the revenues are going to come back up because it's mm-hmm. internet advertising and nobody's ever been through this type of thing before. And so we couldn't raise money. Um, but we went to one of our partners that we actually had a relationship with a, a peer company that was similar but different mm-hmm. and said, hey, you know, our technologies are compatible. What we do is compatible. What would you think about a merger acquisition? And, and we were able to sell the company and the company continued, right? Um, so, but that was because we knew what our runway was, right? And we knew what happened. And even as the world was crashing, right? We knew, right? Um, so I think, you know, especially at times like <laughs> economic turmoil, like what happened at the dot-com crash, what happened in the 2000, 2000, 2008, 2009 mortgage crisis, what happened at the beginning of COVID, right? And, and honestly, in some ways, a lot of what's happening now, right? There's a, a certainly a capital tightening in the market. It is harder yes. to get an SBA loan or to raise venture capital than it has been in a decade right now. Yeah. Um, and you may not have expected that because it wasn't so hard a year ago. So you should be planning now for the capital needs that you're going to have in six months to a year. You should understand what your what your cash flow looks like, what your runway is. And, and have a plan, right, to, yeah. to make sure that that doesn't end, end your business, right? Yeah. And, and sometimes I think that comes down to, you know, always making sure you have some time to work on the business, not in the business, right? Yeah. So yeah. can you just p- clear four hours on a Friday afternoon to say, I'm going to step away from being in the weeds to focus on the strategy and look at the big yeah. picture. Am I still doing the right things? Are we still right. doing the right things? Right. Yeah. What am I, what are, what should I be worried about in the next quarter or the next six months? Can mm-hmm. I 
you know, and, and we get really caught up as an entrepreneur myself yeah. in, in the weeds of the business. And sometimes it's really hard to do that. So I almost think you have to schedule it. No, that makes so, a lot of sense to me because I think that has actually been a theme through many of my wisest guests is you do have to get out of the constant uh, wheel turning of working in the business versus on on the business. And maybe that is, like you said, maybe that is part of the reason we see this, a stat like, you know, lack of capital reason for lots of businesses feeling. Was it because they were so busy making widgets and all of a sudden they're like weeks out and like, oh, yeah, man, I, I need cash flow. I need capital versus the, the smart way to raise capital, raise funds is to be getting outside of your business, actually sitting and strategizing and doing long-term budgeting to give yourself sufficient runway in order to get the right kind of capital at the right you know, yeah. time, at the, on the right terms. That way you don't find yourself chasing your tail because like you said, it may be by the time you get to that point, it's too late. Yeah, I, so I think there's a lot of planning that's involved here. Um, and then, you know, there's lots of different ways to get capital too, mm -hmm. right? That's actually what I wanted to ask you next is just for those of us, you know, who are listening, I, I believe most of us would know at a basic level that there are three major categories for uh, getting capital for your business. You can bootstrap it, which I think you know, lots of folks know the gist of bootstrapping. You can get, you know, conventional loans, which I actually have um, interviewed, for example, the Small Business Assistance Corporation. So that's part of their modus operandi is working with community banks and, and federal programs to help small businesses, even if they could traditionally couldn't get a loan, be able to get them loan and capital. And then there's an investors. Uh, could you maybe give us a lay of the land or, or do you see uh, one method being uh, – you know, more involved frequently when it comes to it's really aligned with a lot of successes or maybe it's aligned with a lot of failures. Yeah. So I will start with, I did a, a, a podcast, a lunchtime topic for the creative coast during COVID called show me the money. I'll encourage you to go look it up if you're interested, okay. but I identified yeah. over 20 ways to fund your business. Yeah, I didn't. I would not be able to think of half half of that. So yeah, right. and so some of it would fall into the bootstrapping category, right? And can especially while you're getting your business off the ground, can you extend your runway? Right. Right. Can you? Right. So that might be driving Uber at night. Mm -hmm. Right. That might be renting out your car through one of those daily car rentals. That might be Airbnb being a room in your house. Right. So. Yeah. You know, first you think about like, how do I extend the runway? How do I get my business off the ground? And and I, it's a different world. Like I did mm. my very first startup, I did run out of room. I did sell my really nice car. I did all these things to last for 18 months without a salary, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think it's important to think about that, right? So how do you extend your runway? And that's a bootstrap method, right? And then once you start having a real business and start having customers and earning money, there's ways to leverage that cash, mm -hmm. uh, even in a long, uh, say, um, purchasing order situation, right? So if you've got a sales order out to a client and they're a bigger customer and it takes them 30 days to pay and you need money today, you can, you can sell that cash flow and get the money today and you'll have to probably give up 10%, but if you need the money today, right? So there's, mm -hmm. you know, there's 20 some different ways, right? That's wow. right. And then the very last one is angel or venture capital, mm -hmm. right? So there's, you know, there's all these different ways um, to raise money. And, and so I think it always depends on where you are in the life cycle of your business. Like, so when you're, when you're first starting out bootstrapping, even for big tech companies is the 99.99% way to do it. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so, right. And then when you start getting customers and you start to get to that, dare I say product market fit stage <laughs> where you're mm -hmm. starting to make some money and see some customer traction that gives you other opportunities, whether it is debt 
whether it is cash flow financing, whether it is, um, you know, working with a specific customer to maybe do customer funded development because they have needs that your solution doesn't solve yet, but they're on your product roadmap. So maybe they mm -hmm. prepay you for those, right? Mm -hmm. All the way up to venture and equity, uh, angel capital, right? Remember less than 2% of all businesses or yeah, about 2% of all businesses will receive some sort of angel or venture capital, okay. right? And that is selling percentages of your business for money, right? How many how many businesses do you would you venture to say are seeking out that kind of investment? Well, so that I think it's a misnomer, right? Because I think a lot of companies think they should seek it. And a lot of companies I meet with are like, okay, so like you want venture capital or angel capital, great. Uh, you so in five to ten years you're gonna sell your company for a I don't know, 30 times multiple. And they're like, no, I never want to sell. I'm like, okay, then you shouldn't go for that type of funding, right? right. So there's this right. misnomer, right? And it's like, okay, if you want to run this, if you think, if you honestly believe you're going to run this business for the rest of your life, then venture is not on the table for you. Now, right? would angel investing potentially be? Because right? I think a lot of us don't, maybe might assume that those are interchangeable angel investing versus venture capital. So Right? right. So venture capital is a professional investor investing in your company with other people's money. Right. Mm -hmm. They've mm -hmm. raised money into a fund and they're funding your business. Right. Angel capital is an individual with a high net worth investing in your business. Right. And while they will get a percentage of sales, typically, uh, or a percentage of your company for for doing this, there are other ways to structure the deal with the individual angel. As I mentioned, as I slipped up there, you could yeah. structure it for a percentage of sales. Oh, you're going right. to give me this much money and you get a percent of revenue on an ongoing basis, right? right. You could do it as a note. You could do it as a debt. You could do it mm -hmm. as a loan. We're going to pay you back, right? Um, and that is more of a individual angel. You've met this uh, this high net worth individual that believes in you and your business that's you know can add value to your business, and then you can discuss okay, what mechanism should we mm -hmm. use to fund the business? And certain angels say, may want to get into that because they want you to sell the company for thirty times multiple. Other angels might genuinely believe that you know in your organization, so they're going to get a certain equity or certain terms, but they don't want you to sell the company per se. Yeah, and it, I think, you know, that most angels that everyone knows about are, are truly the angels that, like, are expecting equity in your company and want to return, right? Yeah. Um, and so, but anybody with a high net worth, like anybody that, you know, the, the according to the federal government, in order to be able to invest as an angel investor, you have to either have a million dollar net worth outside of your home, so not including your home million dollar net worth or make $250,000 a year. So mm. if you find one of those people and they want to invest in your business, they are legally allowed to invest in your business, right? Um, so there are some you know parameters around that. Um, but I do, I will say like one of the questions you asked me was, which do I see more frequently being involved in successes? Yeah, and failures, yeah. Right? So right. when I think of most of the companies I worked with back in Atlanta, mm -hmm. that you know, went on to become a unicorn, a billion dollar company. And, you know, there's four or five of them at this point. Mm -hmm. um, it's all three. Really? They would use combinations. So, so, you know, they bootstrap to a certain point, right. Um, to, 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 to get to the point where they had a product in the market so that they could start to show uh, product market fit. And then like what, what you don't really hear that much about is like when you read in TechCrunch or somewhere online that somebody just closed a $75 million round, mm -hmm. it's typically not 100% equity, right? So this is, this is one of the things that Silicon Valley did really well. <laughs> it probably got them into trouble a little bit, but really well um, was you they'd help you raise money. They'd introduce you to investors and you'd raise maybe $25 million in equity. And they'd give you a $50 million line of credit, equity, uh, debt, debt, venture okay. debt, they call it, right, mm -hmm. to match that. And that's how you got to $75 million, right? <laughs> so, um, 
and and this is where they got into trouble in some ways that they made you in order to to give you the debt they made you keep all your money in that bank and of course only two hundred fifty thousand dollars is FDIC insured so right money then then was insured and that's how we got into trouble there. But most companies that I've worked with that that get to uh, be really successful use, a, you know, all three options. Okay. Um, Is it really like seasonal? Like at first, okay, you're bootstrapping. You need to show that you can stand yeah. on your own two feet. And maybe a conventional loan comes next for working capital. And then maybe then uh, a investor, investor of some sort comes in. Or maybe his investor would be next before working yeah. capital. I don't know. The, the investor comes before the working capital, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So once you get to the point where you can kind of model out your finances for real, you know, the I teach financial models in our idea accelerated boot camp, right? But we're, we're modeling out a five-year financial plan with, a uh, bunch of hypotheses that we've mm -hmm. tested through a series of interviews. We haven't put a product in front of the customer yet. So, um, you know, once you can get to the point where you can forecast, literally forecast sales and revenue, yeah. then you can go for a cash flow loan, right? Um, right. Or, or for those that are e-commerce, totally different business, right? But, you know, um, a lot of direct-to-consumer products or e-commerce businesses do use more cash flow funding, right? So once they they start selling on Amazon or they still start selling on Shopify direct to consumer, and they're able to model out like how much inventory they need at any given point in time, because the key to their businesses is not running out of inventory, right? Mm -hmm, they mm -hmm. can take cash flow loans against their inventory orders, right? To to pace them up, right? Until they get to the size that typically a private equity company would be interested in a direct to consumer, right? Okay. So you don't really think of uh, traditionally venture capitalists have not gone after direct to consumer that has changed a little bit we've seen some venture capital investors in, in direct to consumer in the last five years mm -hmm. um but with the slowdown i think we're we're seeing it almost return to normal where you know an e-commerce or, or direct to consumer business would focus on uh you know building their product selling it through their online channels they have to deal with some sort of funding mechanism to fund inventory, which is mm -hmm. you know, some sort of funding mechanism there, which would traditionally be more like an SBA or a traditional bank loan or some of these new online providers like Bluevine that has popped up that are really good at that and do use mm -hmm. slightly different algorithms to figure out how much you can take, right? And then um, they would scale to a point where they become attractive to a private equity firm versus a venture firm. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. Just, I know that it sounds like, you know, it's, I'm oversimplifying it. Cause like I said, if you really think about it, there's, there's 20 plus ways. And I, I do want to point the audience towards, um, the, the discussion, the speech that you gave on through creative coast, I believe it's on YouTube, correct? It is. Yes. Okay. But you can find so it on the creative coast too. So, um, yeah. if you go to the creative coast website and you click on online resources, you're going to see all of our classes that we've taught. Okay. COVID started. So there's, I believe, over over 300 workshops online at this point. Okay. So that said, I, I will kind of ask, a, for my own sake, the simple question is, if we're looking, I understand, like, in general, I feel like with Bootstrap, there's the obvious benefit is, you, you know, there's no other third parties that you're beholden to. You obviously retain all your equity. You're not paying loans with interest. But the, the, the drawback is obviously – you're having to draw from personal lines. You're having to go to family or friends or whatnot, and it's obviously smaller pools of cash that are harder to 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 put into a company. When when a company you know gets enough of uh, success to stand on their own two legs, and they've they've bootstrapped it to a point, and they're like, okay, maybe I should look at an investor or an angel or a, a loan. What are what's like one benefit or danger that that business? owners need to be mindful of when they start to look at those outside parties for, for funding? Yeah. Um, so I would say like at, if you're bootstrapping a business and you get to a certain stage, the question is it really as to whether or not you seek funding is about growth and how fast you want to grow, right? The capital is really about growing fast. Like how mm -hmm. fast can you grow? Yeah. Right. And, and in certain businesses, if you don't add money, Right. And you just keep sort of going along, even if you're cash flow positive and you're making money and you're like really super stoked because, I mean, you can have a three million dollar a year, six person business. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally possible. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, 
But if you're if you're in a space where somebody might go get capital and they could knock you out because of a marketing campaign, mm. then you got to go for capital. So think think of the bootstrapped, low capital intensive software company that starts in a town like Savannah. Okay. I actually have a couple in the back of my mind, but don't necessarily want to say their names out loud because they might get mad at me. Right. <laughs> they grow to a certain stage. They're they're making it work. They're they've got customers. In fact, mm -hmm. they've got a lot of customers. They're making mm -hmm. six, ten million dollars a year and they got a great lifestyle here in our beautiful city, right? And a small team that's fun and easy to manage and all this stuff, right? But they're in an industry. You know, I don't know, some sort of SaaS based industry, software as a service based industry, property tech, something like that, mm -hmm. uh, real estate tech. Um, and somebody on the West Coast decides to go after this space mm. and raises $10 million. And they have, a, they don't even have a good product yet, but they've raised $10 million. So they're going right. to have a good product, right? And they're going to spend yeah. over half of that money on marketing. They're going to be everywhere. They're going to be on television commercials. They're going to be sponsoring golf tournaments, right? Where mm -hmm. your customers, your current customers and your future customers might see them. So if mm -hmm. you don't raise money, but a competitor does, you're SOL. You could be out right. of business. You could, you could have had first mover advantage. Yep. Right. And lost it. Right. Yep. Mint versus Wasabi. You know who Mint.com is, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Have you ever heard of Wasabi? Never. So they they did what Mint did prior to Mint existing, but they focused on building all their own tech and kind of moving slow. And they had a great platform. Uh, but Mint said, you know what? We don't need to build a platform. We just need to have customer adoption and and win the customer race and we're going to have a super user-friendly easy to use program and boom you don't ever hear anything about wasabi anymore right so so i think it's really important for you to think about in a global economy even if you're a business in savannah georgia you know in a global economy and you don't raise funds is that a risk for you because it could right. be yeah no that's the thing is um I, I think i'm hearing some really good wisdom is that there's a lot of wisdom to bootstrap to be in a good operation to be to be viable to be you know to not go for the quick fix but at the same time if some outside company and we're increasingly in a borderless global marketplace decides that it wants to take out your market and they used you know loaned capital or whatnot to basically saturate the market and eat up the market share you can have a more sound ba balance of books. You can have more equity. You can have a better native homegrown product. But if you ain't got the customers because someone comes in with an arsenal and just blows you away uh, suddenly, you know, yeah. what do you got to say for it? Yeah. So I think it's, you know, you got to think about whether or not you need funding, want funding. Um, it's not the right thing for everybody. You are giving up equity in your company. You mm -hmm. are taking on, uh, there's never a silent partner, right? There's, right. they've given you money. They do want their say, mm -hmm. um, even if they say they're gonna be silent. Um, so it's, <laughs> you know, I think it's, you know, especially that first investor when it's still rel very risky for them, relatively risky for you, you know, it's 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 almost like finding another co-founder. It's like, you gotta make sure the values are aligned and that your their expectation of growth matches your expectation of growth. Um, you know, I, I worked with a team once where they started a company together and everything was rocking and rolling and they were killing it. And one guy was like, things are great, right? Things are awesome the way they are. Why would we want to grow? And the other guy's like, no, we're going this big. We're, we're going mm -hmm. all the way, man. Mm -hmm. And they mm -hmm. disagreed, right? And the company fell apart because they could, you know, they had different values of mm -hmm. uh, related to uh, what success meant to them, right? And so I think when you're talking to a co-founder or even that for early stage investors, understanding what making sure your your idea of what success is is aligned and how big that is is, is really important really um, good point right and and ideally you want more than money mm -hmm. 
right? Ideally, you want somebody that's tied into the industry or has the relation has relationships that you don't have, right? My last company, yeah. I was, I actually decided my last company that I ran uh, prior to to relocating to to Savannah on the south that was a actually before I even joined ATDC that I sold. Um, at one point, I was looking for a CEO because I couldn't I couldn't find a good chief technology officer, and I'm a Historically, I'm a chief technology officer, so I was like, "Well, I can step into CTO. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can I find a good CEO?" Right? And I was in really big talks with this super senior guy at American Express, right? And he he wanted to leave this big company. Well, guess what? His Rolodex was a who's who of oh, the yeah. financial tech industry. <laughs> so I was like, "Woo, we're gonna win this race, man!" Like, uh -huh. yeah, bring him on, right? So. Um, so I think it's really about, you know, relationships is really key. Like, and, and I guess the other thing is it's really nice, especially if you're a solo founder or you're the, the CEO and, and you're, maybe you have a team, but you know, they're not your peers, you know, to have somebody with, with more experience or, or a different set of skills than you do to bounce ideas off of, to, yes. to use that, right. Um, yes. to use that relationship to, to to grow your knowledge and your ability to, to get assistance. Right. Yep. I mean, even and when I've started in the past, I've started, I've had early investors uh, interview potential candidates for key jobs for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're not technically going to work with that company in the weeds, but it gives me a second opinion or a third opinion on somebody that I'm thinking of hiring to make sure, like, I can't be the only person that interviews this person and hire, you know, and hires them. Um, so it gives you a, you know, a bench you got now you got people on your team makes sense well i that really sets the table i want to ask uh jen for some specifics about different stages of businesses and talking about the right kind of capital for the right stage first let's take a quick message from today's episode sponsor soul insight this episode is sponsored by soul insights is your business looking to hit the next level of growth for many businesses, they know they need to spend more on marketing, but don't want to simply shoot in the dark. They want a smart, data-driven path to solid growth. If this is you, then Soul Insights can help you to identify, attract, and retain ideal customers. Soul Insights is a strategic marketing agency which helps small and mid-sized businesses understand their best customers, who they are, their shopping behavior, and acquire new best customers based on that data. Oh, and it's all measured and tracked to ensure you get more profit bang for your marketing buck. Head to soulinsights.com right now and take the 90-second quiz to find your path to the next level. Okay, that's a lot of information. I, I love that. <laughs> for me, it's drinking from a fire hose. Maybe for some other folks, this is this is um, more familiar. But you talk about different, you know, different uh, funding is a different is appropriate for different stages of the company's life. And once again, I, I think what we're asking you here is helping us to have better paradigms to address this apparent issue of businesses going under before they reach year five, partially due to lack of capital. So for the startup, if they are in the first two to three years of existence, um, when they're funding that startup stage, what do you think is like the top, top kind of proverbs of funding a business that early in its life? Um, yeah, so I actually have a chart for this, and it's in that slide deck that I mentioned earlier. But okay. it, you know, the funding curve looks a little bit like a bell curve, right? Mm -hmm. And so, in those early stages, it's going to be bootstrap. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be something that nobody ever likes to talk about anymore. Friends and family. Or for trendy, we can go crowdfunding. Uh, although, like, yeah, obviously yeah. you're going to have a lot of degrees of success when it comes to crowdfunding. Everybody thinks that if they just put it out on social media, you know, but it is a thing for some people. Yeah. And you have to think of, well, there's crowdfunding for equity and there's crowdfunding for gifts and prizes and pre-purchases, right. right? So there, right. and there's now crowdfunding for revenue shares. So mm. there's, there, yeah, there's a new platform that does that as of a couple of months ago. So there's all different types of crowdfunding. So there's, at the, at the early stage, there's, you know, it's the more traditional route. Um, then, you know, there's a, there's an overlap in that phase with, with Angel, right? Like, so where, with my very first startup, we raised a lot of money, you know, and we actually had like a professional angel investor in our friends and family round, right? Now, he didn't put a lot in, he was, but but he was he came in at that level with with some of his money that he managed from his 
from the money that he had set aside for angel investing came in at that level, right? And then when we came to the next round, our, our seed round at that time, now you might go for a pre-seed round, but mm-hmm. um, he came in and he really led that effort, right? And he brought other investor friends in along that round. So, so I think, you know, but all of that can be within like a two-year window, right? It's, yeah. It's, some of it depends on type of product and time to market and and all that sort of stuff right so but it's it's typically going to be your own money and friends and family maybe some angel money up front right and then you know i think as as you get to i'll say again product market fit or early stage customer adoption where you start to see some revenue coming in then you can kind of assess um, depending on the type of product you're offering, what your what your next path is, right? If it's a mm-hmm. pure play tech product, you know, banks don't understand. Yeah, you know, the SBAC is not going to understand mm-hmm. a financial model built for a SaaS company, right? Right. You know, they're just not. They're not going to fund that type of business. So you're you're onto the angel seed fund, uh, uh, equity investor, venture capital round. If you're mm-hmm. that type. Of product right you know if you're a more traditional product where where the uh the customer acquisition costs are more uh, better understood by a traditional banker then yeah. you're going the sbac route or the the sba banks and the right. um and the bank route and, and and that actually segues into my next question is um so when the company does get to the point where they've been in business for three to five years, you know, they got stable, they have a good operation, they have a solid book of business, they have a decent market share. That's where you maybe it sounds like you may have already uh, started to answer the question for us is um, now I think we all have in our mind from your earlier example of you can't rest on your laurels perhaps. And if you, if you're just trying to bootstrap organic growth, everything, you might have some out of town guy come in and use capital to just eat your lunch out of nowhere. Um, once they get to that point, that's where basically off the nature of their business, they need to look at, or they should at least proactively strategically look at traditional lines of capital or maybe VC or angel investor to be able to put more wind in the sails, more fuel to the fire to use that as an opportunity to get extra aggressive. That way you don't leave an opening for some out of market company to come eat your lunch just because you happen to be stable and have a solid book of business. Yeah. So I think you're looking at some sort of like sizable funding round, probably your three three to five, depending on how fast you scale. But I want to question the word that you use about stable, right? Right, yeah. I mean, in today's day and age, how stable is anybody's business, right? I mean, think about, you know, Facebook launched threads last week, right? Like, why did they do that, right? Right. They totally just changed their business model, right? Right. And, And so... The way things are moving, you've constantly got to be learning. You've constantly got to be thinking about, okay, what more should I be adding to my suite of products that I offer to my customers, right? Yeah. And and how can I meet those needs or how can I get more customers? And right. So you know, the use the word stable. True. That kind of rubbed me wrong because I don't know that anything ever gets stable. You're an entrepreneur. You're constantly thinking about what's next. You're constantly thinking about how to get more customers, how to grow the customers that you have. And that means constantly, um, you know, ideating on new product lines to add, Mm -hmm. new services to add, all of that stuff. So, uh, you know, it's, I think... I don't know what other word to use in stable. It's more like once you've got enough historical data right. in your financial systems to actually right. be able to go to a bank or to right. an investor and say, "Here's how my mo- like here's how it works," right? Mm-hmm. Here's what my cu- customer acquisition costs are, right? Mm-hmm. If I throw more money at this, we can scale. Like, here's how big mm-hmm. the market is. If I throw more money at this and we get a percentage of that larger market. Here's what the numbers look like now, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, it, it is, it's 
for me, a lot of the things around investors that people don't really think about is it's just, it's a relationship, whether it's a bank, like if you want a bank loan, you better have a relationship with your bank, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to find an investor, be it angel or venture capitalist, you better build relationships with those people, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things I tell people all the time that most people are shocked about is I tell people to give, even before they take the money from the, the investor, to uh, give them regular updates on your business and on occasion give them bad news and ask for help. Right. Because if you only give them good news. Blowing smoke. Right. They're <laughs> right. Kind of like, yeah, right. Hey. You know, right. Like, you could be like, hey, I lost a key person this week. Yeah. Do you know anybody that could fill this role? Here's the job description. Bad news, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's that's going to affect our numbers, right? That that yeah. person was just killing it, and we lost them this week. So, I got to fill this person. I got to fill this spot. Do you anybody know anybody? And about you know, it's it is going to kind of affect my projections that I showed you a month yeah. ago because of X, right? And and the best investor is going to come back with that referral to say, oh, I know exactly the right person, or or let me think about it, like mm -hmm. right? Or they're going to come back to you, and they're going to be a thrilled that you asked for their advice, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. There's a there's a saying in the entrepreneurial world the best way to get from get money is to ask for advice, <laughs> right? If you're asking for money, you're probably not going to get money. <laughs> you're going to get advice, but if you start asking for advice, you might get money. Right. <laughs> That's a good point. So, no, but so. but to your earlier point about my, my stable uh, statement is. I think that's a good that's a good sobering point you made because uh, we 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 entrepreneurs we have our plans like oh you know once I get to this point you know everything will be hunky dory because my plan will have worked out and I will have arrived right so you may be you may get to a point of comfort or contentment about how the the accounting and the P and Ls look but that doesn't mean that the market outside of your four walls which we talk about as a theme of this podcast that there's not constantly changing opportunities and threats and so i think that that even for this region in which you and i both operate it needs to be a change and growing paradigm where the slow vanna days are are, are over and an increasingly fast-paced versatile dynamic sophisticated marketplace there is no like we've arrived we're now stable everything is fine now because like you said uh, if you're not constantly always looking to grow you're leaving an opening that someone is going to attack because this is an increasingly growing attractive market and there are increasingly more and more players here so maybe there is no true point of comfort financially capital wise market share wise yeah and i you know i look back at different milestones of my life and i'm you know i think it's a personal growth thing i mean right um I don't know that I ever necessarily kind of slowed down in any of my startups, but when you sell a company and you get through your earnout, right? You get through your golden handcuffs, right? You sell the company mm -hmm. and you do you do your time to make sure the transition happens well and now you're done. Mm -hmm. Like and you go like then the next day you have nothing to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yep. <laughs> you know, I I've, I've never been more depressed in my entire life than after I sold the company. <laughs> the first yeah. company right yeah there were days that i didn't get out of bed right mm -hmm. my, my family came to visit to check on me because i wasn't answering the phone and it was like because i didn't have a reason to get out of bed anymore yep. and it was a really positive outcome mm -hmm. i went through a depression because i didn't know who i was anymore so i think you know to me life is about growth mm -hmm. right and so and i like to think of everything as a series of sprints not a marathon right yeah so so as you think about growing your business like how can you build in sprints how can you be like we're going to get to this and then we're going to celebrate we're going to pause right? and then we're going to sprint again and we're going to celebrate and we're going to pause like the creative coast we had a crazy couple of weeks so right now you know this week and the next couple of weeks a lot of people are taking vacations we're mm -hmm. cutting it down a little bit just relaxing but you know we taught a girls who code program to 33 young girls last week and held a Dang. STEM workshop for another 15 kids at the same time. And we had She Hustles that sold out for, you know, over 130 women a couple of weeks before that. And it's just been a lot. So it's like, okay, pause. Mm -hmm. Everybody regroup. Finish that minutes. sprint. <laughs> That's the sprint ever. Take some right. minutes. We're gonna we're gonna start again, but take a week or so to recover, right? Yeah. And like, then we'll go, then we'll have a meeting. We'll figure out what's important and and sprint again.
That's right. All right, guys. There is no such thing as cruise control. You got to be looking for the next time to, to to hit the gas hard. So let me ask you one more question before we bring it home. I mean, I think you've already been um, defying convention, so to speak, throughout the the interview. But uh, when it comes to business funding, what is one commonly held belief with which you disagree? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, again, I'm going to go back to the statement that I made in the beginning where a lot of people come in. In fact, there was a time there when every single person I met was because literally they would walk in my office and go, so how did you find out about me, this organization? And they'd be like, somebody told me you could help me get funded. Right. Um, and that's how they found me. And, and so they were coming into my office for funding and I had to dispel the myths around whether or not they were ready for funding. Right. Mm -hmm. And part of that is like, not all businesses should raise funding. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, a lot of them were solo founders mm -hmm. right, and hadn't yet built a team. And they were like, well, I need a money. I need to raise money to build a team. I'm like, yeah, no, not so much. Like you actually need a team to get money. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause if you don't have a team and you raise money, what happens? Right. What happens if you're walking down the street and you get hit by a bus? Exactly. Yeah. Where does the money just go? Writing yeah. a million dollar check to your yeah. business because, and I love your business idea and I love you. Right. But I don't want to run that business. Right. I won't be the investor. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have a team, right, you're not fundable. Right. right? And then I've I've seen situations where somebody had a team, but they were all really junior. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, I got a team. I got all these coders. I got this person. I'm like, still, like, if you got hit by a bus, which one of them is picking up the ball? Right. Oh, wow. Who's the CEO in waiting? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> who's that number two? Who's the number two that's going to step in? Right. Right. Um, so, team, team is really key, right? Um, you know, the second question I would ask them in these, in these conversations would be like, okay, do you have a product? And they'd be like, no, it's just an idea. Mm hmm. Ideas don't get funded, at least not in this community. They right. might in Silicon Valley on occasion, but the right. third question adds, adds to that. Like, have you done it before? So that idea might get funded if you've done it before in Silicon right. Valley. Right. But it's not going to get funded here. Right. That idea is not going to get funded here. And, and like, you know, if you've done it before, you've got people to go ask for money, right? If you did a good job. Exactly. Because you've already built the network ties. You've got the experience. You've built the trust. Yes. Like even if you lost their money, they will often give you money. Mm -hmm. Because you've already, they're going to ask you, what did you learn from the experience? Mm -hmm. And as long as they like that answer, they're probably going to give you money again. Because they're, they know the game, right? They mm -hmm. know. So an, the, an angel investor needs to make 21 investments to typically make a return on their investment. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's money ball for startups, right? So they yep. have to make 21. They know 80% will fail. Mm -hmm. Right. Out of the other 20%, they're hoping for one home run. Mm -hmm. And the rest are going to probably do okay. Mm -hmm. But 80% of the businesses that they invest in as an angel investor are going to fail. Uh, those are sobering stats, but sound, I mean, I'm not surprised, but nevertheless, to hear them is quite um, sobering. So, I very much appreciate the insights insights for me uh, as a business owner. I think a lot of the folks uh, listening were, were all vigorously taking notes. So I think y'all heard it from Jen. Uh, you need to fund your business. Uh, it's very important. It's not something you get together in weeks. It comes from months and months of strategic planning, and there's different phases to it. And like Jen said, you know, she's got entire uh, workshops that you can access on the Creative Coast website where it's not, yeah, there are three maybe parent categories, but there's 20 plus ways to fund your business. The more you know, the more you can set up your organization on that journey for, for long-term success. So I know you've highlighted uh, some of the Creative Coast already, and I thank you so much for joining Good Morning Market. But I guess in closing, how can folks connect with you? How can people get, you know, dive right into the deep in, uh, of the pool if they want to with uh, Creative Coast and, and your other ventures? Yeah, awesome. So it's it's thecreativecoast.org. I am Jen at thecreativecoast.org. And I will say we um, we run an Idea Accelerator Bootcamp, which is a 12-week long program. Uh, we're going to run it a little differently this time. And in, in the past, we've run it uh, like every Tuesday night for 12 weeks, and it gets a little bit too much for people. Uh, we will be kicking it off in September. We're going to run it uh, four Saturdays, one month apart. So there's still the same amount of work. There's still the homework and stuff like that. But you're going to get uh, trained on a Saturday and then have 
four weeks to do the work and then get back together and get trained and do do the work. And it's, uh, you know, we start with ideation and how to validate an idea. We go deep dive into your customers, who your customer personas and who your customers are um, and things like that. Then we go deep into the business model. Like what is the, what is the uh, revenue model look like? What are the costs? What are the expenses? And then we wrap it up with an investor fund your business course uh, at the last month. Um, we are going to allow people to register just for components of it this year. Where in the past you had to register for all 12 weeks. So if mm -hmm. you think you're at the stage to fund your business and you want to sign up for fund your business, the last program, you will need to fill out an application and likely do an interview, but mm -hmm. we will possibly let you into that. We have not launched the application process yet because we're redoing all the curriculum based on the change instead of being every week. Um, we hope to launch that around August 1st. So watch uh, the creativecoast.org's website around August, the first week of August for the announcement of these upcoming classes. Um, but if you want to learn how to fund your business with equity or venture funding, that will be a part of Fund Your Business. Um, we will also be bringing in folks from SBAC and things like that into this workshop um, to meet with businesses if you if you go through the whole program. Perfect. That, that's exactly a great next step for all of us. Um, I will put the website uh, in the show notes on the podcast description. And folks, for y'all listening, uh, if you just sign up for their their emails, their email newsletter is very informative. It's the main way I like to keep up with Creative Coast programs, events, um, networking, resources. Uh, that's a great start. So, Jen, thank you so much for joining Good Morning Market. Um, a really awesome conversation, and I, I hope we all take everything you, you gave to us today, we put into action so we can all fund our businesses properly. Awesome. Thanks. I really enjoyed it. Have a great day. You too. to tell y'all i'm biased but i'm also right um as usual uh, jen benet i've gotten to know this lady and i need to get to know her and her team better uh really a leading edge mind uh working to take a historically sleepy small smaller-ish mid-sized market and work to drive better, faster, leaner practices that the big boys and the big metros are using. And that's a lot of what this podcast aims to do. So great guess. And, and there was a lot of stuff that she touched on and she had to touch on on a high level. Once again, she didn't reference uh, one of their lunch and learn topics that's available on YouTube that was referenced. It's on their website, the Creative Coast Savannah. I would recommend deep diving into that uh, through that topic. But at the high level, I think we were able to gather some some pretty powerful insights from that conversation. Let me just run them down for you in terms of what I thought was very insightful. Number one, business funding should be proactive and strategic, not reactive. If you're waiting until the point that you quote unquote really need the cash, you really need the cash injection, you really need the fundraising, and you haven't really thought this out, you're doing it in a more reflexive manner as opposed to really knowing what kind of money, why you're getting it, what it's going to do for you, what's the ROI, how do you you know, then get the performance needed to uh, justify and cover the, the debt whatever. Um, that's the way to do it. And like Jen said, you know, if you're trying to do fundraising and, and you're waiting until you already need it, you're in trouble either because the competition is beating down the doors uh, of your gates or you know you might not be able to get out of it and you might get the cash injection too late and once again business funding super important because it's super important we can't treat it reflexively okay can't fly off the handle shoot half cocked whatever your analogy and your idiom is secondly there are tons of funding options I went into this interview being like, oh yeah, you can bootstrap, you know, you can get investor capital, uh, or you can get a, you know, a traditional loan, traditional debt line. 
And she's like, no, there's like 20 plus, Philip. And I like I knew of a couple other ones. I, I knew of briefly Angel Investors, which, you know, apparently is not the same as venture capital. I knew briefly of like crowdsourcing, although that's extremely rare. But there's a ton of funding options. All that to say, something I am a big proponent of is do your research. You know, um, there's a lot of different options, and that means there's a lot of different trade-offs, and not all those options will be available to you at any point in time. But for your business, you need to know the breadth of options in order to get the Goldilocks fit for funding for your business. Another point that I took from my conversation with Jen was businesses have different funding needs at different stages of the journey. Startups have different uh, needs than a micro-sized business, have different needs than uh, a business that's now you know, growing and is now leading their market, have different needs than a, a business is now expanding into multiple sites, different needs than once they hit mid-size, different needs. You can, exactly. No, no business stage is going to have the same uh, capital needs or you know abilities. So, unless you talk in general about you know starting out bootstrap to should the market viability and then progressing from there into other lines such as VC or traditional loan working capital. That's what you need to keep in mind. And once again, I think her deep dive would help a lot into mapping that course out. And then the final point that I thought was very insightful was be aggressive. It makes sense. If you are of the mind that you actually want to be a really impactful business, you don't want to just have your own business to have your own business. You actually want to be a leader. You want to make impact. You want to expand. You want to scale. Well, that means that you, you, now you're wanting to compete with the big boys. You have to act like a big boy. You you can't sit on your hands just because you're in a healthy place and you don't need cash. You always need to be growing. Always be growing. Always be growing as fast as you uh, what do you call it sustainably can and and can strongly sustain um yeah in order to do that you will likely need to look at funding options even if you don't quote unquote need the funding at the moment because once again the longer you sit on that jen's point was you may be opening the door to competition from out of market uh taking advantage of your uh comfort and then boom next thing you know now you are fighting an uphill battle so uh great conversation with jen i love it every minute of it definitely encourage you to connect with the creative coast and to a deep dive into the resources on how they are catalyzing the economy around here connect with me on linkedin philip scroggin would love to connect with you put a face to the name and be able to engage and share ideas next week we're going to see you back here on good morning market and remember in order to lead your market you must first hear and know your market